Hi, this is Paul Taylor, one of the co-hosts of the Career Boosters podcast. Are you ready to supercharge your career? Introducing the Career Boosters, the podcast that'll take your professional journey to the next level. We've got the success secrets, the latest trends, and essential skills to propel your career forward. No matter where you are in your journey, we've got you covered. Your dream career is just one listen away. Let's make it happen. Usually the candidate that we offer the position to, they're the ones who are best able to market their skills through the storytelling, the, the examples that they use. Honestly, a lot of the time they land the job. What happens when a company needs to hire someone? Those job ads must just magically be created and appear on places like LinkedIn, Indeed, and corporate websites. Well, not exactly. Welcome to the Career Boosters podcast, and we're very excited to welcome someone with a tremendous amount of human resources experience to the show to talk about how companies hire and recruit for the roles that are open in their organizations. Today, we welcome Academic Department Manager at the Alberta School of Business, and one of the very few people that has had the chance to interview me twice, Leona McLean. This week in class, we focused on how do people get hired? We gave MBA students a view into how people get hired at different organizations from the public sector to the private sector and different places around Canada and around the world. From how do job ads get created to interviews and even into the negotiation process. We are excited to ask Leona some questions about how this gets done from a public service standpoint and can't wait to hear some of her points on interviewing, selecting candidates and more. Leona, thanks so much for joining us, and we are so excited to have you here, and I get to ask you the first question. If you can give us the Coles Notes version on your career story, and how is it that you've come to be in the role that you're in now? Well, thank you for having me. So my name is Leona McLean. I've worked in the HR field for roughly 30 years, uh, 22 of those years uh, here at the U of A. So from 2003 to present, uh, I started in central HR um, in the pension and benefits unit, where I advised uh, staff on the provisions of the pension and benefits uh, plan. From there, I moved to terms and conditions. There I worked with departments just to ensure that labor standards were being maintained, practice were in compliance with the terms of the various uh, collective agreements. From there, I went to uh, compensation and job design, and there I provide advice on job, uh, job evaluation, position creation, position types, and then uh, finally moving from Central HR here to the School of Business, where I came in 2007 as a senior HR advisor. Um, later on, I moved into an acting HR uh, director uh, position. During the SEPT restructuring, I moved to shared services as a team lead to workforce administration, which is a, was a newly uh, created unit. And then 10 months into that role, I came back to the School of Business as the my current position, which is the academic department manager slash administration manager. I don't know if everyone was maybe counting there, but from one HR professional to another, Leona, and you certainly trump me on, on years of HR experience, uh, and, and I wasn't counting, but that's a whole lot of different HR roles. And mm -hmm. I think there's a common misperception that kind of HR is just one thing. We all kind of do the same thing, when in reality is there's a lot of different mm -hmm. areas within the large umbrella of HR. Absolutely. And you've been in many of them. 
it was very beneficial for me to move to those roles centrally and then being able to utilize those knowledge and experience here at the department level in the School of Business. Um, so um, as a result of those positions, obtained a strong understanding of just governance, uh, institutional policies, and just av available resources here on campus. And so what a beautiful example of what we often see MBA students go through of coming into the MBA as specialists. They have been in many different areas and come in with very deep knowledge and they use the MBA to pivot into more, I'd say, generalist roles that are supported by years of specializing, which is what it sounds like you just described. Absolutely. And now, Leona, you're here to give us a bit of a peek behind the hiring curtain. So mm. all three of us have hired. We all have hiring experience. But I think one of the key struggles as MBA students or just candidates looking for roles is the reality that everyone hires differently. Even in HR, you can two HR professionals here chatting, you and mm -hmm. I will have hired differently. So if we can offer different points of view or different ways it's been done, I think that's a really valuable understanding of just kind of behind the scenes. So let's just start with what is your experience in hiring? Have you done it for the majority of your HR career? You know, kind of what kind of roles? Tell us what hiring experience you have. To me, it's cumulative. So I look at the, the recruitment, the hiring um, and selection. So I've been involved in all three aspects for probably about 18 years. Position ranging from casual, hourly, co-op, uh, term positions, uh, regular continuing support, APA, department chair, so a wide variety of uh, different positions. And you'll find in a unionized environment, it's more structured, right? We, we, we tend to be more structured and formal versus uh, non-unionized environments. And there's one key difference is even understanding what it is that you're applying for. Is it a unionized role? Is it not? Mm -hmm. Is it a role within a unionized environment? So maybe the role you're applying for isn't a unionized role, but you know the environment that is it is in is. That mm -hmm. might dictate what maybe you can expect as a candidate. Let's start with a little bit of this before the preparation that you have to do before you hire someone. I think there's a misnomer out there that people just kind of snap their fingers and get to post a job. And that's kind of where it starts. There's so much mm -hmm. work that happens beforehand. Tell us about that. Oh, absolutely. So the prep work actually be begins with at the department level where they determine there's a need and that that need usually come about as a result of growth, uh, resignation, or maybe just they, they have um, additional their workload has increased, and so they're looking for casual help. So the supervisor or uh, manager initiate the process. Uh, they reach out to our faculty general manager to gain approval. So they actually need approval to fill. Once that approval is granted, then they reach out to my team, to myself or HR manager, and then we actually then initiate. So we have the approval from the uh, faculty general manager. We then have to seek additional information uh, approval. So from the university's budget management perspective, we need approval from our HR, our centrally assigned HR partner, as well as our centrally assigned finance partner. So we want to make sure that number one, from the university position management aspect that we can fill the position. And then from the financial um, aspect, we want to make sure that there's budget in the position. 
right, to, to, to actually sustain that position, whether short-term or long-term. So once we have all that aspect worked out, then we schedule a meeting with the supervisor of the position to work out all the necessary details. How long would you like this position posted? Five days, 10 days? We, we look at who will be at the, on the panel. Do you have time blocked off for the interviews? What is your selection criteria? We have those conversations. What's the gap in your current team? What are those skills that you need to fill? So we have, we have all those um, information worked out. Is the position, is the interview going to be in person, virtual, um, virtually? Right? So we work on all those details. We give them a timeline. When do you want this position, the person to be in the position? And then we work backwards. I think usually one of the biggest conception is that, as you say, you can just snap your finger and have someone hired. But the, the duration usually, honestly, it usually takes about six weeks to get someone into that position when you factor in, you know, all the prep work that done before, um, recruiting. If it's a brand new position, we have to develop that position. We have to create either a job fact sheet or a job card. So we work with the supervisor to actually create the position. And that can take anywhere from um, five to 10 business days once it's submitted. Another aspect I would say is that um, we want to make sure that the duties of the position are relevant so that the pay grade really reflects and is accurate, right? So we want to match the duties to the rate or the, the position range. So I am hearing a whole bunch of steps, checks, boxes to check, approvals, things to do along the way before it even gets to a point where somebody can apply for this role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about kind of four to six weeks, but tacking on maybe even two more weeks if it's a brand new role. So if you put yourself in your kind of when you've done this hiring as the mm-hmm. hiring manager, if it's taken you, I don't know, four, six weeks to even be able to post it and you are probably maybe kind of hurting, you need you need this person in the chair. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's a little bit of frustration or stress from a hiring manager perspective. Definitely. And I can use an example right now where um, I'm working with a hiring manager where someone uh, resigned early January. The position still hasn't been filled. This manager has been working on updating the position, which means that there's a potential change of grade, which means that there's going to be further delay. So it's we have to really meet with those managers and educate them. So the sooner we get going in the process, the sooner we can get someone into the role. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, so there's there, there's lots of different steps and depend on you know um, the state of the position. Is the new position? Is the duties up to date? Um, is it going to be you know is it going to be changed significantly that will affect when we can post and how soon we can get someone into the position? So you've talked about many steps along the way. From beginning to end, as a hiring manager, what's your favorite part of the recruitment process? So from beginning to end, so I would say probably making that job offer and just selling potential employees on just the wonderful benefits and team and the wonderful work that we do here in the School of Business and the U of A. Now let's do the flip side. I know at least for myself, I didn't enjoy every single part of the recruitment process over and over again. Uh, what is your least favorite part of the recruitment process? Honestly, it's the regrets. Mm. It's 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 always the regret because a lot of times we interview some wonderful, talented people, people, but we can only select one. 
you know, and so there's times where you might have a favorite where, but it doesn't align with that, um, the hiring supervisor, right? It's, it's, it's always the regret where, oh, I wish it was you, you know, you interviewed so well, you, you know, but unfortunately, there's this gap that we, ne- we needed to fill, right? We want to make sure that there's a diversity of talent within the team. So it's not that you, did, you interview poorly. Unfortunately, right now, it's not the correct fit. And I think you just myth busted another, I think this is going to be another myth busting episode of recruitment is that if you've ever been in the place to be regretted, to hear the, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you didn't get the role that the internalized story we tell is I did something wrong. I messed up the interview somehow. Mm -hmm. There was a deficiency on my end. But what you just said was sometimes you actually Mm -hmm. don't get to hire the candidate you in fact want. Yes. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I, when I do regret, I always say, you know what? It's hard not to take it personally. But sometimes it's as you say, you've done all the right steps, you've answered the questions. But it's unfortunately, it's that the fit that the team is looking for right now is not the correct fit, right? Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely, absolutely right. And so to take that result with a grain of salt. And really, I think Mm -hmm. through the entire process as a candidate, you've got to take it with a grain of salt all along the way. So much of the process is outside Mm -hmm. of your control, which is probably one of the biggest frustrations as a candidate Mm -hmm. is you can't control much of it. Yep, absolutely. If we talk about this stage of funneling, like every recruitment starts with a really kind of usually big net. There's lots of people that apply and you've got to Mm -hmm. funnel that down somehow. Tell me how someone lands in your yes pile and what people can do that will very assuredly land them in your no pile? That's a really good question. My no pile, sometimes we see cover letters where they would reference another position that they've applied on. Absolutely. That, that is oh, the I've seen that of, so many times. Yes. It, it really is insulting. Um, is. So, so make sure you prove your resume and get someone else have a second set of eyes look at it because that will really impact your ability to move on in my eyes the yeses i really appreciate seeing candidates highlight um, how they get involved in their in the community i love to see where candidates note that they've volunteered or even mention you know awards that they've received uh, projects they've worked on so it, it, it's that element of they're looking to it's what are they doing in the community and how are they rewarded and respected and you know recognized so uh, that to me elevates their you know their, their, their position in the pool the well-roundedness of a candidate, right? Tell me more yeah. than just your experience story. Exactly, There's more to you than exactly, that. exactly, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Paul, you have had many a yes pile and a no pile. Tell me, um, you know, needs of the role aside, what would put somebody in a no pile and what will probably put them in a yes pile? This is very easy for me, I would say, just like Leona, obviously, in the cover letter referencing the wrong job. Leona, we have been having a lot of conversations with students starting their cover letter saying, I'm really interested in this job. And I really, that's a no pile thing for me. I think if you weren't interested in the job, why are you applying Mm -hmm. for it? So it's a very generic statement. I love Mm -hmm. like a real focus on the company in the first, in the first paragraph, the why do I want to work for this organization? Mm -hmm. I love the, I've done research 
research and this what this is what makes me want to work work for you so that's that's the one thing i think the other thing i this is going to be really surprising but i love interests on a resume and it's oh. talking a little bit about what you're talking about leona when it comes to the volunteer work and things like that I love asking people what they do outside of their working world, right? And mm -hmm. so if it's travel or reading or sports, uh, that's how we all connect as individuals. And and I know that when I interview people, if I see something that's really cool and really interesting, I'll ask that. And, uh, you know, it, it says you like to play golf. What's your favorite golf course around the city? Uh, you know, you like to travel. Where's the favorite place you've traveled to? Because mm -hmm. I think people are so much more than just the jobs that they are, uh, that they've mm -hmm. done. And so I love interest. Mm -hmm. That's that's something. Mm -hmm. that I, I just love having on a resume. And I would just quickly add, for me, that's a great way to open up the interview to put a candidate at ease is get them to talk about their passion, right? I noticed on the resume, you've, you know, you've noted that, da, 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 tell me more, right? So yeah, mm. definitely. What a kind of seasoned approach to interviewing, you know, you don't get to assess someone if they are super anxious, not them best selves. How can you put them at ease? And yeah, mm -hmm. something in your resume. I have talked about cycling in, oh, I don't know, 75% of my interviews. Somehow my very first HR job had 20 minutes talking about the Tour de France chatting with the director of an HR department who happened to know cycling. Like I couldn't have known mm -hmm. that putting that mm -hmm. on my resume would create that conversation. Mm -hmm. We've been chatting about cover letters for a second and they are a bit polarizing. Mm -hmm. Every hiring manager thinks something a bit different about cover letters. What's your opinion, Leona? So honestly, when I'm looking at a resume, I actually go to the resume first. I assess um, the experiences on the resume to see if there's a potential fit. And then I circle back to the cover letter. So I, I, I kind of do it um, probably in the, in the reverse where I'll scan to the resume first and say, oh, okay, I see some key, you know, aspect where, you know, the, the qualifications are highlighted. This could be a potential fit. Then I go to the cover, cover letter because for me, the cover letter tells your story. Right. And so I'm actually looking at the element of storytelling. You know, how, how, how are you displaying all your cumulative experiences? You know, and so for me, the cover letter is the story, storytelling. It's telling me why I should hire you. How does your, the, your, your experiences, um, how it came to be. Right. So, yeah, for me, that's the element of storytelling there. And I just want to point out for anybody who's listened to our previous episodes, we did not pay Leona to say that, nor did we prep Leona to say that, actually. Leona, oh, our hey. last, I don't know, three, four episodes have really had a focus on storytelling. Mm. Our classes in all of our cover letters that we teach students is all about how to tell your story. That is the point. And so if your cover letter starts the same way as everybody else, mm -hmm. I'm really excited to apply for this role. I have a keen interest. That's not a story. Mm -hmm. start with start with a story start with a hook line and you've got somebody's attention and I'll just, I'll just add usually the candidate that we offer the position to they're the ones who are best able to market their skills through the storytelling the, the examples that they use honestly a lot of the time they land the job yes it is yeah. an unsung skill set, mm -hmm. I think, in the whole application process. Hopefully mm -hmm. it's being sung a little bit more for the amount that we're talking about it. But mm -hmm. I think there's another, you know, peek behind the curtain or myth bust is the people that we're hiring are people that tell good stories yes, and at multiple absolutely. points in the process. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm with you on when I read a cover letter, and Paul, I'm going to ask you in a second. I, I don't read cover letters until I know you've got the key pieces that I'm looking for. If I have to go through 100 resumes or more, mm -hmm. right? So the reality is, is that it can often be more. I need to know that you've got the key pieces that I'm looking for before I probably move on to your cover letter. That's my my style. Paul, how about mm -hmm. you? I would say it's a bit of a blend of the both of you guys. I, I almost guarantee I probably take the least amount of time out of the three of us to look at resumes and cover letters. I need things to really stand out to me. And that doesn't mean bold everything, like mm -hmm. in, in the text and the formatting. What that means is I need to see in the cover letter, there's like an initial, like I've done research and I know what I'm looking at, right? Mm -hmm. I've tailored this. And I really need to look in the resume that I know what you're looking for and I'm putting those things forward to you as early as possible. That to me, you need to make my job as simple as possible. I My brain goes at 5,000 miles an hour. You need to capture that in the first thousand miles. Like it's, you need to capture it really, really fast. So mm -hmm. that for me is what I look for. Leona, we've talked about recruitment just being so different, no matter kind of who's recruiting. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, what is it that you wish candidates knew about the recruitment process, perhaps even before they applied? Honestly, I would wish that they would take the time to do their research. So you're applying for this company. Does this company align with my values? So find out about the company. Research, look at the duties that's, you know, that's, that's presented. How does your current experience or cumulative experience aligns with those experience? So do, do the research. Think about, you know, the duties that's being posted. Ask yourself, what questions will I potentially be you ask? You know, answer those questions. Prepare. It's like study. Honestly, it's like preparing for an exam. It really is, right? You're going to do, do the research. You're going to study. You're going to study the company. You're going to study the job posting. You're going to come up with questions. You're going to answer those questions. You know, you're going to rehearse your answers. And then you're going to present it naturally. Right. So it, it's, it's doing all the prep work before. I think I'm with you on that one. I wish people knew how much prep it really mm -hmm. actually takes to do a good, solid application all the way through to the end of the process. It mm -hmm. takes far more preparation than you might think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's a part of the process that we haven't talked a whole lot about, but it was your favorite part of the process, and that okay. was giving the offer. Now, the offer stage also comes often with salary negotiation, which conversely is people's least kind of favorite maybe part of that. Tell us a little bit about that part of the process in your experience. Okay. So an interviewee should always be prepared to answer what is your salary expectation. Um, going into an interview, generally they know the salary range. They should know their bottom line. And I know it's uncomfortable negotiating salary or even talking about salary. I usually have a formula that I, I use most of the time. Um, if you're coming in with one year of, of experience, I'm going to offer you step one. Usually before I even make the offer, I converse with the supervisor of the, of the position. We usually have a, a minimum and a max. So I, I'm, I'm looking to offer within that range. But your experience should line up to what you think you're worth. And so, yeah. so, so applicant interview needs to really think about that going in. Is what's my bottom line? You know, my based on my experience and my ed education. You know, what are, what is my bottom bottom line? And come to you know, come confidently in presenting that. 
which I think points back to what you wish candidates knew was how much preparation is involved and that part of that prep and perhaps mm -hmm. uncomfortable part of that prep is yeah. understanding value market research, even practicing mm -hmm. what it's going to sound like, you know, when mm -hmm. you talk about your range, all of that prep. Mm -hmm. Right. And when I offer, when I make an offer, I'm actually, I'm making a total compensation offer. I'm, I'm offering you the salary. I'm offering you the benefits. I'm offering you pension. I'm offering you vacation pay. And a, a lot of times the candidate will only look at the monetary aspect, not the total compensation. So they need to also factor, factor that in as well. Mm -hmm. And if you don't kind of understand maybe how total compensation works, working mm -hmm. within your network to find somebody who perhaps could walk you through that and help you understand. I think there's another common misunderstanding is people just kind of negotiate around base salary, forgetting exactly. that there's a total compensation piece in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you dealt with someone who has been a hard negotiation and maybe a bit of a tricky salary negotiation? Yes. Oh, yes. They have fought for every dime. And it was actually a female candidate, and my respect for her was elevated. Oh, and I so, appreciate that. Yeah, and so you need to know your worth, and you need to know your bottom line. Um, and if you have the experience to back that up, then you should you should go for it and fight for it, right? As long as you have the experience to back it up. So tell me though, what this candidate, what she did that allowed you to respect her versus mm -hmm. perhaps be put off or annoyed. It's mm -hmm. often in the how. So how did she do mm -hmm. that? So she wasn't pushy. She, she, again, she went back and told her story as to why she believed that she was worth X, this X amount. She highlighted her experience, projects that she's worked on. So she recognized all the ability and experience that she can bring to the position and how she can elevate the position. And again, I respect her because she wasn't pushy. And she would say, would you consider this? Um, mm -hmm. This is why I'm asking. This is what I can p potentially bring to this position. Yeah, what an artful way to approach that. Yes. Yes. And what a valuable way. And I would assume, at least the way you're talking, that she was successful in her yes. negotiation, was she? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. And I really appreciated that we're talking about a she, because we often end up in this conversation of, mm -hmm. and it's a bit polarizing and, uh, you know, males versus females, but, you know, the willingness or ability to negotiate effectively. And I, I appreciate that example. So what encouragement do you have for students, candidates, just people who right now are applying for jobs? How would you encourage them? And honestly, it goes back to what I said earlier, know your worth prepare for the position that you're applying, you're applying for. Do your background check. Um, if there's someone you know in the organization, reach out to them. Find out as much as you can about the organization. So you have to, as I said, you have to go and as if you're preparing for an exam. And then, as I said earlier, don't take no as if I've wasted my time. You know, I, I, you know, I was my qualification and my experience doesn't doesn't you know doesn't count or it's not relevant. Uh, there's other factors that goes into decide who we offer the position uh, to, and it could be you nailed that interview, but unfortunately, the fit that you know the hiring supervisor was looking for wasn't at the moment. It wasn't the correct fit. Valuable advice. Leona, you ready for a lightning round? Oh my goodness. Yes. It's been, yes, this has gone by very quickly. I know, right? <laughs> it's just a conversation. Time flies. All right. Three quick questions, three okay. gut answers. Okay. okay. What part of your career story has given you the biggest boost? 
I would say being just able to analyze people's strengths, um, their passions and their interests, and just matching them successfully uh, to the position. That gave, that gave me the greatest boost. What's one thing you wish you had learned sooner? Oh, having a healthy work-life balance and setting work boundaries, definitely. Not feeling the need to respond to an email at 11, 11 p.m. And Paul and I are so focused on service, it's embedded into who we are. So we're mm-hmm. always curious to hear how service is going to show up for you in the coming week. Okay, so I would say for myself and, and my team, we are constantly looking to educate um, staff our clients, our stakeholders. I think they, they need to understand why we're recommending certain actions. They need to align with the school of business and the university. We need to be consistent in our process, in our processes. And so yeah, it's just a constant education and providing all the documentation, the supporting documentation, so that it's relevant. And it's not that we want it this way. It's no, we're trying to align with the school of business and the university. So we're consistent in our processes and what mm-hmm. we do. What a beautiful way to serve. And I know it's kind of what you do every moment of every day. For mm-hmm. All right, Paul, do you have a Paul's question? My question to you is, what's the best thing about working at the University of Alberta and specifically in the School of Business? We have a phenomenal team. Just the relationship that we have with, with one another, how we collaborate. We have a very supportive uh, leadership team. We constantly pushes efficiencies. We're looking to just stimulate, encourage, uplift um, one another. There's nowhere else I would rather be. Thank you so much, Leona. You have brought such a breadth and depth of knowledge, both from an HR perspective, but also from a hiring perspective. You've done so much of it over the years that you just have amplified and and mostly unknowingly a lot of the messages that mm-hmm. that Paul and I have been giving for past episodes or in classes and so to hear you naturally talk about some of the very same things to offer similar advice but from your own experience uh, and to give your own color and context to how you hire because we all truly do it differently so thank you for offering that to those who are listening to our students and uh, even to Paul and I thanks Leona It's been a pleasure. We cannot thank Leona enough for joining us. I've known Leona for 10 years, and every day she amazes me around her ability to get so much work done, but still have time for people and still have the ability to, and the willingness to step out of her comfort zone. This is her first ever podcast. It was so much fun to have her uh, on and talk to us about hiring and recruitment processes. The three key takeaways that I have for today. The first one is, she talked about this multiple times. You need to understand the role that you're that you're looking for. And I'll even add in the word research. You need to understand the organization you're applying to. She talked about alignment of values. She talked about going into the job description and looking at the duties and responsibilities and what you're going to be doing and what kind of skills and abilities do you have to match those things. I That's all I need to say. That's very, very, very important. The second key takeaway, I think this is a little bit more from the organizational perspective, and I think this is important for anyone to hear. It takes a long time to hire somebody. If you listen to what Leona was saying around how long it takes to go through the governance processes, to go through uh, budgetary concerns and budgetary things, it just takes a long time to hire someone. And especially when you add in the extra layers, especially here at the university around the public entity and understanding that there are uh, T's to cross and I's to dot. The recruitment process takes a long time. And the last key takeaway, 
the thing that she said that I loved was no isn't a waste of time. A lot of people think, oh, I've applied for the job. That's absolutely perfect for me. I've gone and interviewed and then they told me that I was the second candidate. Someone would look and reflect and say, what did I do wrong? Sometimes you've done nothing wrong and sometimes just another person is just a different fit for that organization that fits better to their team. And so a no isn't a waste of time. You've gone through the process of getting to know yourself. You've gone through the process of matching your skills and abilities to a specific job. And you've tried to align with an organization that you're interested in. That is not any waste of time. And it's you getting to know yourself. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you can catch our podcast again. Thanks for tuning in to the Career Boosters podcast. Looking for more insights to elevate your professional, personal, and career growth? We've got the boost you need. Join myself and Paul next time for more actionable advice and real-world stories. And remember, subscribe wherever you enjoy podcasts, ensuring you catch every tip and tactic to boost your career journey. See you next time.